What up, world? Passwords, point guard, and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is another edition of Mailbag Monday, our weekly mailbag episode answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. We do this each week, off-season, preseason, postseason, whatever season. I record the shows on Monday nights, post them on Tuesdays. So if you want to get involved, there's two ways to do it. Tweet at me at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Helps to tag the tweet a little bit, but you can just send me a tweet whenever you're thinking of it. Let me know it's for Mailbag Monday and I'll answer it in the show. Or you can wait for Monday mornings around 9 a.m. Pacific time when I send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that tweet, get you in the show. If you're not a Twitter user or someone who doesn't tweet, you can email the show. The address is LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. That's LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Shoot me a note there. I'll get you in the show. Like I said, we do the show every week. Mailbag Monday rolls on regardless. So if this is your, if you're, you're just hopping on board as the Blazers season gets going this week, welcome. Make uh, Mailbag Monday part of your weekly routine. We have a lot of fun here. I enjoy doing it, and I hope that you enjoy listening to it. With that preamble out of the way, let's get into the show. The first question comes from Joel, who asks, I've been watching CJ McCollum and his play with the second unit. I know McCollum has always been a score-first player, but that seems even more exaggerated with the second unit. I get that he's a great scorer, but I think they need a point guard that can manage the second unit scoring by making sure they all get proper amount of proper amounts of looks. Should the Blazers do one of the following? One, invest in a trade for a pass-first point guard. I don't know what is available, but Alfred Payton who plays for the Knicks and might start, or Rajon Rondo, who just signed a long-term or a multi-year contract with the Hawks, come to mind. Two, take out Lillard at the six-minute mark of the first quarter and put him in with the second unit to have some more passing. So yeah, I um I I don't think Joel, I don't I don't think you're the only person who who thinks this. Here's what I'll say. You want to maximize talent on the court. So I think a situation, the first situation where you would just get a new sort of like off the scrap heap point guard and sub them in, I don't think is a good solution. I think you want to just maximize your talent. There was a time last year when Dam- when Damian Lillard was out and CJ McCollum had to play sort of lead guard, lead point guard, uh, that he kind of leaned into being a better facilitator. That hasn't shown up in preseason, but I don't know that preseason is sort of the, I don't think it's a really valuable way to judge. Um, they've looked bad, and um, I'm going to assume that they look better than that. Um, you know, they are who they are, but I'm not going to put too much stock into the way the second unit has looked in preseason. But your second suggestion where you just kind of flip it, where now Dame plays the whole uh the whole first quarter and the whole third quarter, and then uh, CJ comes back in for him and and plays with the second unit in the, to start the second and the fourth quarters. I I'm, I'm not opposed to this idea. Um, I think you wouldn't want to do it necessarily in the second half because then Dame has to miss sort of a middle crunch time. You know, CJ will come in for at the, you know, maybe the 10 minute mark of the third quarter and play until the nine minute mark. And then he'll take like a three minute rest from nine to six. Uh, And I worry that that nine to six stretch when Dame is usually coming back into the game is a a, a lot of times sort of your win or lose moments of games. And I think you want Dame on the court. Just in general, the Blazers have been um, good when Dame plays and bad when he sits, regardless of whether CJ McCollum is on the court or not. So I think, I just, for me, I like the rotation just because I want the last nine minutes to certainly have Damian Lillard on the court. But I do think um, 
I do think the second unit has looked a little bit rough, and so do your fellow listeners, and there are more questions coming about them shortly, Joel. Stick with me. Next question comes from Carlos, who asks, is Simon injured or out of the rotation? Simons, excuse me, is injured or out of the rotation? Uh, th- this is just a preamble to the second unit stuff that I want to talk about here in the first segment. Uh, Anthony Simons missed the last two and a half games of the preseason exhibition season because he had a hamstring injury, but he returned to practice over the weekend and he should be good to go. That said... I think he will be in the rotation on night one, but I don't think he's guaranteed to stick there. Uh, the Blazers have, right now, they they have a 10-man rotation, but they could tighten that up and go with nine guys and pretty easily just leave Ant out of it by playing Rodney Hood at the two and Gary Trent Jr. at the two and having Damon C.J. play all 48 of the point guard minutes. So Simons, is he's good to go. Um, he's And I think he likely will play early in the season as part of the rotation, but I don't think that's guaranteed moving forward. Next question comes from Jack Sigma's perm at ZimaGuy69 on Twitter, who asks, why is the Blazers' second unit that consists of four career defensive matadors, three of which are the are primarily ISO scorers, such a bad idea? Yeah, I think this gets to sort of Joel's uh, problem, and I think it speaks more to the style of CJ's teammates as much as it speaks to him. CJ's not a natural passer. He's a natural scorer. He's a two. Like, he's a two. And asking him to play one works better with against second units because... Uh, in the regular season, just those groups aren't as dialed in. In general, defenses aren't as dialed in in the regular season. Not that there aren't really good defensive teams in the regular season, just like uh, personnel-specific stuff is a little bit looser in the regular season. So yeah, I think playing Rodney Hood, an ISO guy, Mello, just a, a ISO legend, almost two decades in the league of being a heavy ISO guy and being criticized for it, and CJ, who likes to dribble, dribble, dribble and get into his shots and is very good at it, but as an ISO guy, it does create for some sort of ugly... Um, ugly basketball at times. Uh, I know I noted an earlier podcast. Um, if you if you listen to non mailbag episodes, and I encourage you to do so because all of the episodes are just absolute bangers. But that I thought Gary Trent Jr. was having trouble kind of finding where he fits in on the offense, which or on the second unit offense with, with a bunch of shoot first guys. And I thought felt like he was rushing some shots because he didn't know if he would get the ball back. I just think that's an issue right now. Um, maybe they'll figure it out. I, I kind of feel like more offensive weapons, and if you kind of get into playing a good two-man game with with Mello and CJ and then having guys react off of that two-man action, you'll be better off. Um, I didn't even include when I was just running down this that Ennis Cantor is a guy who, he doesn't necessarily score in isolation, but he scores on the block and he's a bad defensive player. I think the, I think the Blazers' second unit is going to be a bad defensive team, kind of regardless and the idea here is to just have have a really elite offensive group with that second unit and that if you are, you know, positive with the starting group, which has a much better defensive team and you can kind of break even by being a really good scoring second unit, even if it's not aesthetically pleasing, but you just but you score enough, then you can be a competitive basketball team. But they're not going to be good on defense like that. I don't think without changing who plays and when the second unit is going to be bad defensively. Next question comes from Belgian Blazer at Belgian underscore Blazer on Twitter, who asks, do you have any concerns about the second unit's offense? Obviously, CJ, Trent, Mello, and Cantor can score, but the second game in Denver, the second Denver game, the offense was extremely ISO heavy, and I thought it was really hard to watch. Y'all, Belgian Blazer, Joel, Jack Sigma, Jack Sigma's perm, Zima guy, um, all y'all are seeing the same thing. I'm seeing the same thing too. It's, it kind of is what it is. Like, 
they'll run their actions, but like, I don't know how you get Melo to not be an ISO guy in year 18. Um, you just have to coax more point guardiness out of CJ. He showed he's capable of it. The next step for him, if the Blazers are going to take that step and he's going to be part of them taking a step forward, is get is being able to, to transition from okay score to okay pass. Um, I'm not necessarily in favor of saying let's get a pass first point guard on the court because I don't think that stops the ISO-ness. I just think you that means there's one extra pass before Carmelo Anthony ISOs. Uh, it's not an easy solution, but again, you can be a good offense with without being aesthetically pleasing. I'm not concerned yet about the Blazers' second unit, but I am seeing what you all are seeing, is that this, um, it didn't look good. I, I'm going to throw away the Denver games for right now. I'm going to throw, I know those preseason games were absolute nightmares, but I'm going to throw them away for right now, and we'll, we'll worry about the games that matter, and if this trend continues, we'll revisit them. But Joel, Jack Sickmas Perm, Belgian Blazer, I'm, y'all, I agree with you. That's that is what we have seen. Um, I'm just I'm holding out hope that this is um, that you can be both ugly and good. Next question, along the same lines, Andy asks: Should the Blazers pursue Nigel Williams Goss as a two-way player? They seem to have plenty of depth in the front court, so assuming that even that they even use the second two-way roster spot, it makes sense to get a guard and one who can play point and has at least a little bit of NBA experience makes sense to me. I'm sure he'd still be behind Ant in the pecking order, but extra depth can't hurt, right? Yeah, I'm all for something like this. I don't know if I'm a big Nigel Williams-Goss guy. You know, he's got a hometown connection, grew up in, in Happy Valley, Clackamas area uh, before he went to prep high school in, in Las Vegas. And uh, he lost to the Carolina in the 2017 National Championship game, Go Heels. Probably the fairest way to say it is that I'm not against it, especially as a two-way spot. I think using the second two-way spot on another point guard would be a great idea. It's just when you say Nigel Williams-Goss, I'm not getting super excited like, yep, Blazers figured it out. But I think just sort of it seems like we're many of us, dear listeners, are on the same page is that uh, the Blazers' second unit doesn't pass much and they'd be better if they had dudes who passed more. Uh, maybe they'll figure that out. Maybe they won't. We'll see We'll see how it happens. Like I said, they, can, they might be able to have an ugly offense and still be pretty good. All right, let's come back in the second segment and answer more of your questions. But before I do that, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. Bet Online is the official betting partner of the Locked On Podcast Network, making it the official betting partner of Locked On Blazers. And with the NBA season around the corner, it's time to get on board. There's only one place that has you covered and one place we trust here. That's betonline.ag. So sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for 50% off, for 50% off your welcome bonus. Look, you can bet on Dame's MVP odds, the Blazers winning the championship, Carmelo Anthony winning sixth man of the year. All of that is available for you on bet.ag. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. And don't forget to use that promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right. If you listen to Mailbag Monday, be sure to come back for tomorrow's episode where we're going to go over over-unders for every team in the NBA. I'll pick ev- over-unders for every team in the league as requested by listener Jordan. 
Also give you some reasons to be excited, real reasons for optimism for the Blazers season ahead of opening night. So be sure you check out that episode in your feeds Wednesday morning. That's what's next. Here's what's now. We're rolling with Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Pete Zander at Petey Pete on Twitter who asks, What's up with the Nurk? Looks three steps slower than healthy Nurk, and in footage from practices, he's the only one looking like Rocky Balboa in layers of heavy gray sweats. He okay? Yeah, uh, Nurk always practices in sweats. Even back in his heyday, uh, I remember coming into the gym to cover a uh, summer league practice, and he was in there working out with Dame. And Dame was like shirt off in shorts or whatever because it was July, and Nurk was in full sweats with his hood up. Uh, he's always been like that. Um, so the the practice videos, I do love examining the practice videos for being like, what is going on with this team? Um, so props for that, uh, Pete Zander. But in general, the... Um, I just think Nurk looks bad. He looks, um, you know, I know he was in Bosnia before the season started dealing with a family issue and it kind of seems like maybe Nurk the human had to deal with some stuff that didn't allow Nurk the basketball player to maybe show up in his highest level of basketball readiness. Um, I don't know if he's like crazy out of shape. It's hard for me to say from watching it on TV or watching, you know, and talking to him on Zoom conferences, but and and Terry hasn't said that he, he said Terry was you know emphatic that everyone showed up in shape and he was really proud of everyone. I don't know what else he would say, but um, he he does look like off. He just looks off. Um, he doesn't look good right now. I think you can get yourself into shape during the NBA season. Um, it's not a thing I'm super worried about, but it's undeniable that he, like you said, looks three steps slower. He in those two games against Denver, he did not look like a good NBA player, and they need him to not only be good but to be like an above-average top ten at his position type guy if they're going to get where they need to go. Speaking of Nurk, next question comes from Ian Armstrong at Strong Comedy on Twitter, who asks, "How many times can Terry yell at Nurk like he did in the last preseason game before it becomes a problem?" Or we have so much trust in chemistry that this kind of incident isn't an issue. So this is funny. Uh, I saw this video on Twitter. Someone posted of, um, I think it was Brandon Sprague. Shout out to my man, Brandon Sprague of 1080 The Fan. Listen to his show weekdays, noon to three. But he posted a video on Twitter of Terry just screaming at uh, at Nurk and, and it, it made the rounds because it's relatively rare to see Terry do something like that. He's not um, confrontational except to Mario Asonia and Myers Leonard who he spent full season screaming at. So there were like kind of two reactions to that video. It was one was sort of like varsity athlete from uh, 2004 who was like, that's nothing. My high school coach used to beat us with a belt and then tell our mom she was ugly. And it's like, I mean, congratulations. These dudes are professionals. You were a teenager. It's a little bit different. And then I think, Ian, you're on the other end of the spectrum where you are worried that maybe this is too much yelling and that he's, you know, that you do yell at a professional, a millionaire when he's at work and and maybe he'll tune out the coach or there'll be beef or whatever it is. And... Uh, there's actually a third person I haven't mentioned who's like saying, thank God Terry finally yelled. Um, so shout out to those people. Uh, shout out to the third person who didn't fit on the spectrum or fit somewhere in the, the, the varsity athlete end of the spectrum. Uh, I think it's fine. Um, if Nurk plays bad, he needs to get told he, he plays bad. Terry has, uh, he, it's not that he doesn't, um, yell at folks. He just doesn't chew them out publicly. Like there was a moment last year when Terry Stotts um, screamed an F-bomb at Hassan Whiteside that uh, Jason Quick wrote about. It was a game in Houston. Um, and then it was kind of like this big deal. But I think that's relatively common. We just don't sit close enough to hear it. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not always obvious the the things that he's saying. I don't think it's a big deal. Um, I think Nurk's playing bad and um, Terry has to let him know that he's playing bad. Uh, you have to, part of, 
chemistry or culture or trust or whatever it is, is that you have to hold people accountable. Um, Nurk has to be able to be coached and Terry has to coach. More than the yelling, I think it's just notable that Nurk has looked bad. He deserves to get, sometimes you deserve to get yelled at when you do bad at work. Next question comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus, who asks, should I be more concerned with how all the forwards are going to get minutes, more concerned with how all the forwards get minutes, or how many minutes Damon CJ will have to play with Ant as the only backup PG? I think in general, the Bla- you should be, like right now, when the Blazers looked bad in preseason, I said I was going to throw that away. Let me be true to my word. I think you should be more worried about the forwards getting minutes because um, guys not playing is kind of like a harder thing to juggle for a coach and for a, for team chemistry than the the Blazers' two best players playing a lot. I know that it would be nice if Damon CJ could get you know knock their minutes down to like the 31-32 range, but one they're not super comfortable with that. Dame prefers to play thirty five or thirty six minutes a night, and two um, you just kind of have to prove you can do that before you get there. So I think I think it's a fair concern to say Damon CJ play too much, but in order to have them rested for the playoffs, you have to qualify for the playoffs. So I think the Blazers kind of have to figure that out first before they figure out sort of like some sort of secret recipe for rest. Um, and right now the Blazers, even, you know, Harry Giles out of the rotation, he's not going to play and he's probably capable of helping. And then when Zach comes back, he, you know, either him or Ennis Cantor or, or Rodney Hood or someone somewhere is going to be bumped out of the rotation when they're good enough to play. So I think to me, that seems like a more, more pressing need. Austin Tyler at Austin New asks, I know it's just preseason, but if these games are any indication of trends, is it safe to say we're in for a slow start to the season? What are the chances you see these defensive adjustments and new personnel playing, paying off and the Blazers get a top 15 defense? Austin, you asked this question prior to my decree in this episode that I wasn't going to talk about the preseason. I've spent a lot of time talking about the Blazers adjustments. Um, I, I believe the last two shows I've posted have been maybe... 20 minutes a piece on the Blazers new new defense so if you're curious what they're doing um, check your feeds I've, I've talked about it a bunch there Maybe the last three shows quite frankly um, have, have t- touched on it a bunch my I would say that the Blazers don't look good right now and that maybe the defense they're playing if they can get it right will help them further down the line but right now they don't look like they're capable of playing it. So I'd say the chances of them getting a top 15 defense are slim, but maybe even without a defensive adjustment, they were still going to be like 20th in defense. It's just, um, it is, there's only so much you can do. I don't think it's a terrible experiment to switch up the defense, but um, the early returns are not particularly promising. Next question comes from Jonathan, who asks, you mentioned that Rocco, that's Robert Covington, is one of the best role players in the NBA. Who do you think are the greatest role players of all time, and when does a good role player become a star? Okay, so the the names that are like immediately came to my mind are Robert Ory, Derek Fisher, Michael Cooper, Horace Grant, Danny Green, Dennis Rodman. But I think two of those, specifically, maybe three actually, became stars. Horace Grant, when he finally left the Bulls, made an all-star team, and it was clear that he was very, very good. Uh, now, he was a role player playing with Jordan, and he was a role player playing with Penny and Shaq, but he was also an all-star playing with Penny and Shaq. So the you become a star when people appreciate you more. He didn't do anything different, really. His averages were relatively similar. It ticked up a little bit here and there, but 
but it, he just he earned the appreciation while he was still in his prime. Uh, Michael Cooper was, you know, an elite, elite, elite defensive player, and he just happened to play with Worthy and Kareem and Magic Johnson. And I think he became a star when people got further away from his career and they realized, like, oh, this is one of the best defensive players of the era. Right. Like he's he was defensive player of the year in the late 80s. I believe it was 87 could be 88. He was an eight or nine time all defensive team. So he was a guy who became a star just like when you look at the resume. Then there's Rodman who became a star because of his personality. Uh, he I think he was always a role player and a really high level role player. But he 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 kind of, um, you know, dating Carmen Electra and becoming kind of Hollywood, married Carmen Electra, becoming kind of Hollywood, made him a star in his own right. So y- you do it in different ways. You do it by you do it by um, getting the recognition in in season. You do it by being an outsized personality, and you do it by people looking back on your career as uh, and seeing this gaudy resume and saying like, oh yeah, I think Cooper was one of the stars on those Laker teams. Guys like Ori and Fisher and Danny Green, they're just consummate role players who win a bunch um danny green never going to be a star but he's a dude who's won three titles with three different teams he helps you win games as a quick side note he also won the uh 2009 national championship with the university of north carolina tar heels all right let's come back in the third segment talk more about unc basketball no we'll uh, close out the show answering more of your questions but before we do that i want to tell y'all about our old friends that's right, Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. Built Bars are nutritious, right? They are a wonderful option for the health conscious among us. You got a lot of snacks at home? It's it's the holiday season. You just finished up Hanukkah. You got treats for that. You got more treats for Christmas. You got treats for New Year's. There's a lot of stuff that is not good for you in, in your pantries, in your drawers, in your fridge. But Built Bar is good for you. It's low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. All these bars, they pack a punch. And they're also darn delicious too. They're the best tasting protein bars ever. I say that as someone who was given ad copy that says these are the best pro- tasting protein bars ever and who has eaten these damn bars and they're the best tasting protein bars I've ever eaten. I would read the copy anyways, but I'm telling you the truth. I have, I have tried out other protein bars in my time. Nothing compares. These are the best. So go get yourself some. And while you're there, save a little money by using the promo code Locked On. You'll get 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. That's promo code Locked On for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Locked On Blazers. Shout out to Dre Slaps, who provides the music for the show. You can find a link to Dre Slaps, all of Dre Slaps' work, in the episode description of this very podcast. Speaking of podcasts, if you like NBA basketball, chances are you might dabble in the world of fantasy hoops. And when you need fantasy basketball advice, it's important you have a reliable source. More people trust Josh Lloyd, host of the Fantasy Basketball Podcast, than any other fantasy basketball podcast. Subscribe to the number one fantasy basketball podcast. That's Locked On Fantasy Basketball wherever you get podcasts. All right, let's close out the show with more of your questions. Wrapping up Mailbag Monday. This next one comes from Dr. J, who asks, 
Normally, when teams in any sport have a short preseason, you want to start the season with some cupcakes because you won't be clicking on all cylinders. However, the flip side of that is that you won't develop as quickly because you won't be challenged. How do you see the fact that the Blazers start the schedule with such a tough run of opponents for six games against presumed playoff teams? Let's slow down there. I'm not sure the Warriors are making the playoffs, but they have a really tough schedule. Followed by lightning up, Dr. J adds, I think while we may lose a couple games, that's collective pronoun first one of the show we in the short term we could win later on it will be better to accelerate our development by playing against top level opponents or will it be better to play to accelerate our development or would you rather the opposite start with the bulls etc and then get the tough ones if i'm picking the schedule i would say that the blazers would be better off playing four or five games against bad teams one of the funny things that the blazers have in their schedule is an early game against the houston rockets who may like blow up the season at some point either just because james harden is not playing or he plays for another team or they're tearing it down and starting a, a long-term rebuild, but it's not going to happen in game two, very likely like it's going to happen in January. So the Blazers are going to play a, a Houston team that might end up bad, but is going to be a, you know, sort of the best versions of themselves early version of themselves early in the season. I would always pick cupcakes early. Um, it's, it's hard to know because it's some of it is unpredictable, but both LA teams are going to be good. Utah's going to be good. Like those are those are good teams, and I think you can develop chemistry um, against bad teams. Like I think in the NBA, the difference in really good and really bad is relatively narrow. So you can kind of find a rhythm against bad teams. Obviously, it's better to be at some point to be tested, figure out where you stack up. But if I were sort of picking for the Blazers, you know, give me give me four easy ones early, uh, and we'll figure. You know, when we play the tough teams and. January 10th, then we'll uh, then we'll just see where we stack up. So next question comes from Adam Nakamura. That's Adam Naka28 on Twitter who asks, does it really matter that Nazir Little hasn't played yet? I struggle to see where he would even get minutes in our roster if healthy. Yeah, he's not going to play this year, um, but it's it's a big deal. Um, limited, limited practice time as is. Um, the Blazers are being very, very coy, very coy. They're being really private about his health, um, which is the right to do. Um, this, you know, it's not. It's not like he's dealing with an ankle injury. He's dealing with um, a virus. So he's he's tested positive for COVID nineteen. He's still away from the team, and they're just not giving updates, despite to say he's not with the team. That's all they're. That's all they're saying. Um, you know, it's a big deal just because he's not healthy yet. Um, that's, that's scary. We don't really, you know, obviously there's some long-term effects that could stick around with, um, anyone at any age with this disease. And, um, that's, that's scary, but just even outside of that, uh, you want him in training camp to play because when the season starts, because it's going to be a compressed season and because, um, you know, he's not in the playing rotation. This is sort of his chance to really get out and play with guys. Um, beyond this, I don't know how much five-on-five five the Blazers are really going to play once the season gets going. He's going to play three-on-three three with the young guys and two-on-two two with the young guys, but getting real minutes against with five-on-five five action, like, I don't know how much they're going to really go and practice. So it's, he's he's not part of the rotation, but his development um, can only be helped by being around the team more, certainly. Next question comes from Logan at LoganB770 on Twitter who asks, what three midseason trades could you see a Blaze, the Blazers doing realistically before the deadline to make them top in the Western Conference? Holy cow. And I joked with Logan about this on Twitter. Three? Three? Before the season starts, you want three trades? I'm not going to give you any specifics because 
that's wild. Let's see, like, let's see what the team looks like. Um, here's, here's like an idea of, of a trade, right? Is that they could consolidate some of their, uh, their depth, say, uh, expiring contract of Zach Collins and, um, a, a young part of Anthony Simons and maybe a Nazir Little trade those guys for a vet that can help. Or you try to move Rodney Hood um, and 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 a Zach Collins and an Ennis Cantor and get a get a try to upgrade at at center, try to upgrade along the front line, right? Like I think the move would be to figure out where your weaknesses is and then trade your depth to get a single player that can help. Um, depth is going to be really important this season, so I'm not advocating for that now, but at some point consolidating because you have maybe 12 guys that can help to get down to maybe nine guys that can really help do some sort of three-for-one deal to get um, to get back value. Um, you might not be able to do straight-up three-for-one just money-wise, but you know what I'm saying. You, you, take, you give away three players that are really good for one player who is better than all three of them and you get back some spare parts in between. That would be my, the type of trade I would see the Blazers to take the next step is to um, to really just sort of shore up their obvious deficiencies once the game gets go- games get going. But we're still two days away from the tip-off of game one and you want three trades, Logan. Whoo boy. Take a deep breath. Let's, let's, enjoy, let's enjoy this roster for one game then, you know, hit me up about trades on Thursday or whatever. Next question comes from Jordan Poe at JordanPow456 on Twitter who asks, I know you've already spent a lot of time on Harry Giles already this preseason, but if Giles plays due to injury or something and balls out, is there a chance that Neil goes ahead and chooses him over Zach? Um, it would be Terry making that choice, not Neil. Um, I see what you're saying, though. Like, would, would Neil trade Zach for whatever and say uh, Harry's the guy big of the future? I can't see that happening just based on the way Neil does stuff. Um, I also don't think I've said this before that like, I don't think Zach has much trade value right now. He just hasn't been healthy. He hasn't proved he can play. The people who really believe in him are in the Blazers organization. Maybe other, another team would take a flyer on him because he's um, he's had his moments. He was pretty good in the late playoff series against the Denver Nuggets game six and seven. He was fantastic game six, particularly in Portland. Uh, But you know, that's one game a couple years ago and he just, you need him on the floor. I don't think it's it's hard to trade Zach without him playing. So you want him, you got to get him back. And if Giles steals his minutes, then we'll revisit it. But I don't think I don't think there's anything Giles could do right now before Zach is healthy to say, yep, for sure he's the dude. Um, you know, maybe maybe there is. He's he's got a lot of talent, but I don't I don't see it happening. Next question comes from Tam Terius the Greek at Tam the Greek on Twitter who asks. Is there any recent blazer that had a noteworthy pregame routine, such as George Hill's poop routine? Yeah, George Hill takes a poop of a pregame. By the way, George Hill plays for the Thunder, a team likely to do some trades. You, y'all looking for a, ba- a backup point guard? Send me some George Hill trades. You, let, you, want, you, you want me to smash the like button? Send me some George Hill trades. I think he could be really, really helpful for uh, a bunch of good teams, including the Trailblazers, if you need a veteran guard. In any case, pregame routines. Since I've been around the team, um, not not really notable ones like that. Uh, Wesley Matthews, in my first year around the team, would drink coffee pregame, and he would drink it with five sugars. Black coffee, five sugars. Um, n- not something I'm doing before playing an NBA basketball game, black coffee, but uh, that was that was unique to me. Uh, Evan Turner used to, used to, like, day of game, he would go to the arena with his... Um, one of his workout guys, not like a team 
official, but one of his guys, and they would get shots up in the empty Moda Center, um, which I always liked the idea of Evan Turner, who was shooting, you know, 22% from three, getting shots up in a totally empty gym just to kind of like get his... Uh, get his depth perception right. Didn't didn't really work out. He was good at some things. Shooting was not one of them. Back a few years ago, uh, when I worked, still worked at the Oregonian, Joe Freeman and I collaborated on a story about pregame routines. Uh, We published it in 2017. It might be behind a a paywall now, but if you search a behind-the-scenes look at Portland Trailblazers game day is the title of the article, and I believe it will pull up for you. And we wrote all about um, the Blazers' sort of pregame routines. None of them are super notable, but it gives you a little look at um, at what... Blazers pregame is like, uh, I think, if you're interested in, in that kind of thing, it'd be a good place to start. Okay, next question comes from Ito at Ito6666, who asks, in the preseason games, the Blazers defense looked bad. It looked like the Blazers got an instruction that when the opposing team is in the paint, not to try to guard them. I guess lower the risk of injuries. Is this a possibility or I imagine that? <laughs> they just sucked. They they weren't they weren't um they weren't preventing injury. That's you imagine that. They just sucked. They're just giving up a kajillion points. The bigs were slow, the rotations weren't connected. They just sucked on defense. It was just they they were bad. Um let's move on. If they're bad again, we'll talk about it, but let's the defense was really, really horrific in the preseason, y'all. We Everyone knows. Um, but it wasn't some sort of uh, conspiracy about injury prevention or anything like that. Next question comes from Adam, or ADAM, at Real Mike Stand on Twitter, who asks, are the 2000 Blazers really in the best teams to never win a title conversation? Or is that a clickbaity take? I love that team, but it's absurd to put to put them that high. They were very, very good, but the bar has to be much higher than a 59-win team with an aging Hall of Famer, right? No, I don't, I don't, I don't think so, actually. Um, that Lakers team, uh, I recently read Three Ring Circus by Jeff Perlman about the Lakers run from 1996 to 2004. Uh, that Lakers team was fantastic, and they should have beat them. Uh, they would have won, they would have beat the Pacers in the finals, almost certainly, if they had, if they had won that game. Um, that 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 pace that Lakers team was fantastic. Um, if the if the Blazers run it back and don't trade Brian Grant, I think they're right back there again. I mean, they were they just weren't nearly as good in the regular season. You know, they get rid of Jermaine O'Neal and Brian Grant. I think if they just run it back with that team, they're um, they're right back in the mix. I, I think that's best team to never win a title. I think they're right right up there with. Um, you know those those Kings teams. Uh, obviously, the Malone Jazz. Uh, uh, the Malone Stockton Jazz, excuse me, the the early 90s Suns were really really good. Uh, even the the sort of 1994 to 97 Sonics are at least in my lifetime are really one of those really good teams to never win one. So yeah, I, I don't I think not clickbaity at all, just facts. They just the league was older back then too. Like the having a bunch of 35-year-olds wasn't as crazy. That Laker team was really old too. It's just um the 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 team has changed. The the, the game has changed. It's not uh, it's not like that anymore. But certainly that 2000 uh Blazer team, turn of the century Blazer team was fantastic and certainly one of the best teams to never win a title. Next question comes from Jack Sigma's perm at guy 69 on Twitter who asks, "What's your go-to at Gonzalez Taqueria?" So, I mentioned this on twitter.com that Gonzalez Taqueria, which is a uh Mexican food cart in my neighborhood was maybe my favorite burrito in the city. It's maybe my favorite restaurant in the city. It's fantastic. Um, open now and, and you know, you can order outside. No, no dangers of going indoors if, if that's something that would hold you back. My go-to are two things. I will, This is a classic order if I'm extremely hungry or just being gluttonous. It would be a carnitas burrito 
excuse me, a chili relleno burrito and two carnitas tacos. That's my go-to. Um, that's a, an absurd amount of food and you should not eat that. But, um, you know, that's how I get down. They hand make their tacos. So even if you're a burrito person, strong recommend to uh, to try some tacos out. I think their carnitas are the best carnitas I've had in the city. Had other good, very good carnitas outside of Portland, but in Multnomah County, I'll give Gonzalez Taqueria's carnitas over over anybody, and um, their tortillas are just fantastic. It's the secret to everything they do is they just have fantastic tortillas. Next question. The final question of the show comes from Esoteric Eric at Esoteric underscore Eric on Twitter who asks, Recently, you had mentioned that Robert Covington would be the Blazers' rhythm guitarist. Now I need you to fill in the rest. Lead singer, lead guitar, drums, percussion, synth, keys, and bass. Okay, so... I got it all mapped out for you. Lead singer and guitarist is Damian Lillard. He likes to control the flow. He will not play off the ball because he is not comfortable with it. He wants to be in charge, and he's darn good at it. So he's your lead guitarist and lead singer. He's standing in front of the band. He's Prince out there. Everyone else is the revolution. Shout out to Mickey Free. On drums, we've got Yusuf Nurkic, the most important part of the team. And when he is off, much like the drummer, The band sounds like shit. Playing bass, Rodney Hood. Soft-spoken, really steady. A guy who's probably never going to lead the team in scoring, but when he delivers, it's it's beautiful music. Hood just kind of has the, uh, Hoodie has the, the bassist demeanor, so I had to go there. Playing synth and keys. Gary Trent Jr. But he's one of those dudes who they, you know, he he really holds it down and plays keys and he's a really, he's a really nice complimentary part. But every so often he gets a little nod and he just goes off. You know, those keyboardists that just like absolutely go nuts um, every so often, maybe when they're introducing the band and on, and on keys, I got my man Gary and Gary Trent Jr. just goes nuts. That's, that is uh, keyboardist Gary Trent Jr. C.J. McCollum is the guy from the Mighty Mighty Bostones who just dances around. He's he's just doing his own thing. He's a he's an integral part of the band. He's an integral part of sort of the band's identity. But he's not playing music. He's just dancing around, hyping you up. The guy who plays sax on all the hits, like all the singles that go platinum, is Carmelo Anthony. But he's not part of the tour. He's just like you. You're like, oh man, I love that song. I love that song. And they got the guy who plays sax. I love that guy. And then you see them on tour, and he's not there with them. That's Melo. And then auxiliary percussion, the guy who kind of, he plays hand drums and he plays the triangle and like he makes the band sound cool, but you're not exactly sure if they need him. It's Derek Jones Jr. At its best, this band rocks. They rock. They've got a lot of different parts. They've got a lot of different sounds. They can do a lot of different things. But when they're off, when the drummer's off, or when the Mighty Mighty Boston's dancer guy is kind of just maybe going a little too freestyle, the band doesn't always sound great. But boy, do they have a solid lead singer, lead guitarist. He really holds it down for them. All right, that's enough music analogies. And that's the end of Mailbag Monday. If you want to get involved in future Mailbag Mondays, just tweet at me at Mike G. Rich or email the show LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Like I said, we got over-unders for the entire NBA and reasons for optimism for the Blazers season coming in your feed Wednesday morning. So if you listen to this show, be sure to come back on Wednesday morning. Get excited for the Blazers season, which begins this week. Should be a lot of fun. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.